Hello, welcome to the Lal Dugash podcast. Today I'm here with Mahad Olad, who is a columnist for the Ithacan. And I recently saw an article of his called Escaping Gay Conversion Therapy in Kenya. You can probably summarize what happened there by the title alone. And I'm very excited to get to the story that he tells in this article that he wrote. Um, but before that, I'd very much like to get a sense of who Mahat is and where he comes from and his background. And thank you for coming on, Mahat. Hey, Lalo. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Did I pronounce your name okay there? Yeah, Mahat. Yep, that's totally, yep, that's correct. Great. Uh, so um, I'm Mahad. I am a sophomore at Ithaca College. Um, I'm studying history and politics. So I grew up... Um, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, from a very conservative Muslim background. My parents are originally from Somalia, and I was born in Kenya. We came to the United States as refugees around 2001, and I um, have lived in this very tight-knit community and have grew up there, basically. Um, so, Can I ask you what, what age you were when you came from Kenya to... Yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was uh, I, I was about three to uh, four years old when I came to Kenya. Okay, pretty. Young. And so yeah. I come. Yep. So I come from a pretty big family. It was uh, me, my mother, and my seven other siblings, um, and I'm the second youngest. So I have a younger sister, and the rest are much older, and they have their own families. And so, so yeah, I, this community has been emotionally, psychologically traumatized by decades of civil war, mass migration, and dislocation because of the Somali Civil War, which basically uh, collapsed the country. Um, and then Somali people have basically dispersed throughout the entire world. And so my family ended up in uh, Minneapolis, which has a very large Somali population. Um, so therefore, we've kind of formed a very tight-knit community. Um, and family is basically the nucleus. And everything revolves around the family. And by family, I'm talking about religion and culture. Um, and so when it comes to religion and culture, you have to there are certain very absurd standards of basically honor and piety that you have to uh, manage up to, um, just like in any other conservative Muslim community. And the thing is, no one is going to manage this. Um, and so the thing is, you have to kind of try to act like you're a part of that community um, and try to act like you can be a good Muslim um, and just show outwardly that you are adhering to these standards. And so my um, apostasy and my sexuality didn't come into play um, until I was, I was, I think, around 13 to 14 years old. Um, and by this time, I had already returned to Kenya. Um, and so I've returned to Kenya a couple of times. And this, I think this would, would have been my second time. Was this only to visit? This was only to visit, yes. Because um, um, my entire family's from Kenya. Um, wh what kind of... Uh branch of Islam did they belong to? Was it Sunni? Yeah, um, Somali people are 100% Sunni. Um, traditionally, we were um, actually had a lot of Sufi traditions um, that were vibrant in the Somali community. But after the country collapsed, a lot of Wahhabi and Salafi 
forces to quote of the country um, and propagated that very hardline interpretation of Islam in Somalia. But prior to the Civil War, um, culture, it was, um, I, I don't really like to ter- use the term liberal and secular, but it, it was not, defi- it definitely wasn't Wahhabi. It, it definitely, like the Somalia that's practiced today um, in Somalia and other, and in the Somali community, whether that's back home or abroad, is definitely much more conservative and hardline and hardline than it was. Oh, and you is this because of Wahhabi influence? Of yes, Saudi this is influence? because of yeah, of Saudi influence, Wahhabi influence, and and because of just competing um, factions trying to get a hold of the country. And do, have you seen this, like for example, in the community or in, in the mosque that there is an investment from Saudi? For, to 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 change the the practice to be more fundamentalist, yeah, definitely. Um, I uh, prior to the civil war in 1991, um, I think Saudi Arabia or it might have been Egypt um, and some other like Gulf Arab countries have been pouring in kind of like a lot of petrol dollars to try to you know propagate this form of Islam, and it wasn't quite popular actually. And the the leader, the dictator at that time, um, was actually pretty brutal towards anyone who. Um, propagated um, this form of Islam because it didn't adhere to his um, kind of Marxist uh, Sufi leanings. Oh, so he was very he was very oppressive against the Wahhabi practice of Islam. Yep. Um, I th- so let me show you one example. I think it was um, it was part of one of the watershed moments, and that clearly illustrates what I'm talking about. Um, I can't remember the exact year. It might have been in the 1970s, where a group of um, ulumas were protesting against a family law that was passed by the government. The family law would have guaranteed equal protection um, for both men and women. So I basically asserted the equality of men and women um, when it comes to rights of um, inheritance and other um, family law matters. And uh, the clerics uh, said that this is un-Islamic and that women and men are not equal and that men um, are supposed to get a bigger share of the inheritance and I mean, technically, they're correct. And the the government didn't respond very well to them. Um, and they think he might have actually executed them. And so, uh, there, yeah, there, there are definitely moments like that where um, Wahhabi um, and fundamentalist uh, Muslims were actually afraid to speak out um, for fear of persecution. Um, and but you, I, I think that, that definitely had more to do with the politics of the leader at the time, though. And you would say you that this influence from Saudi Arabia, you can see it in the Muslim Somali community in the U.S. and in Somalia. Yeah, you can. Um, some small scale um, instances include the fact that Somali people now look down upon music. They look down upon art. They look down upon drawing. They look down upon singing. And these were uh, things that were very much revered and cherished um, in our culture you know, prior to um, Wahhabi influence, none of that stuff was a problem. All of a sudden now it's forbidden. Um, And so... Yeah, I mean, that's really amazing in the sense that so many people I've talked to on my podcast tell me Mm -hmm. similar stories from all over the world because you hear about, obviously on the news or people reporting, commentators say about Saudi influence and they're pouring in money to make, you know, Muslims more fundamentalists around the world. You sometimes you don't know if these things said are factual or exaggerated or things like that. But I hear this from people from Morocco, the U.S., and everywhere, Pakistan. Yes. Um, tons of people I've interviewed on my podcast. So the more I, I hear this, almost every time I talk 
with with a uh, with someone who has some kind of upbringing Muslim just is more and more convincing me that this is a really really big issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. So when you were growing up in Minnesota uh, as a Muslim, what kind of Muslim upbringing was that? Did you go to mosque? Um, would you say it was fairly secular or was it much more like strict uh, practice? Um, were there any restrictions that in retrospect you would say were were very orthodox? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, so I grew, again, I grew up in a traditional Somali household where religion and culture are part and parcel, part and parcel of our um, of our traditions, and so everything invariably revolved around Islam. I would say, you know, when I was young, I, I attended madrasa, I prayed um, five times a day, um, I read the Quran regularly, and I just kind of followed um, what my parents wanted me to do. It wasn't anything too extreme um, because, again, I was young at the time and. They didn't expect that much of me, um, and so um, there, it, it, I, I didn't start noticing the oppressive features of my culture and my religion until um, I started to think for myself. And by that, I mean when I started questioning Islam and when I started um, realizing that I am not straight. And um, I think that's when um, my parents definitely took a notice and became and became much uh, became much more forceful in their um, enforcement, I guess, of of Islam. So but I, prior, yeah. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, oh, I just wanted to ask you, what came first? Was it your questioning of the religion, or the, you discovering the, this part of your sexuality? I think it was definitely questioning my religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I started questioning my religion, and I, I mentioned this again. I went back to Kenya. Um, around 2012, so I was in middle school, and um, my mom just wanted me to expose uh, me to life there. And so, yeah, my journey away from Islam basically began in Kenya. Um, there was a specific instance that kind of served as a, as a catalyst. So one morning, I was walking from the mosque, and I heard um, a, an explosion happen, like just like a few feet away from me. So I was beyond petrified i literally ran for my life um i ran into a nearby compound where my cousins lived apparently a grenade had been thrown into a local church in the midst of a in the midst of a a a type of sunday school and the grenade was thrown by al-shabaab and for those who are not familiar with al-shabaab they are a somali-based militant um, group and so the explosion killed uh, a child and I believe it wounded nine others. And so um, at the time, I was going to Madrasa, actually. And so later that evening, a, a local sheikh, a, a Wahhabi, very Salafi sheikh, who has a prominent position uh, at, at a nearby mosque, delivered a speech sanctioning the attack. Um, and he cited a lot of verses from the Quran and a lot of um, reportings from the Hadiths um, which are deeds and sayings attributed to the Prophet Muhammad um, as basically divine sources for these jihadists. And this was a cleric that I looked up to, um, and he has taught me before, um, in fact, and he is um, almost a part of my family because he, he, he's like a family friend. We know him very well. And I was completely, you know, I was seven years, uh, excuse me, I was in seventh grade 
Um, and I didn't necessarily have the vocabulary to process all of this, but at the same time, I knew there deep down there, there, this was something I simply couldn't overlook. Um, and I started asking myself is all of these, are, are all of these stereotypes about Islam being connected to extremism true, or is this just a crazy mosque, uh, uh, imam who does not know what he's talking about. And so, yeah, I realized I couldn't overlook this fact that today's Islamic extremists are driven by a type of political ideology, and this political ideology is definitely, um, in my perspective, driven from Islam's most sacred texts. And yeah, that event, witnessing a terrorist attack, definitely propelled me to critically examine my faith. Um, and I wouldn't say, so there's different stages, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure you've heard about all these stages well. Because you, 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 you know you talk to a lot of ex-Muslims, and we don't just like renounce Islam one day, like out of nowhere. You know, it's it's a very traumatizing process. Um, it can take years. It could, you know, um, and we don't. It's not something we necessarily come to terms with, with right away, even if we, even if we think we are. So uh, yeah, when I was 14 years old, that's definitely when the seeds started to grow. Um, and because again, it was very traumatizing experience to reject a religion that you've literally been indoctrinated to believe as the little truth. And so had you heard any, um, uh, before that time, any negative mention, one of atheists and two of gays? Um, Oh, that's, that's regular. That's, that's very common. That's a part of the Somali vocabularies to just, um, gay people and to this atheist because they're obviously very much disliked. So I can, there's so many examples I can point to so that, yeah. Well, those examples, would you say they're majority uh, outside the realm of religion and they're just part of, let's say, culture and society? Or were they things that were talked about in mosque with religious justification to the infidel, let's say? They they were definitely, definitely had all of these, um, any kind of speech against um, apostasy or homosexuality inevitably had religious overtones. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hear it in the mosques so much. I mean, a couple of ceremonies that I've been to before, they, they would, you know, say very disparaging things about um, the LGBT community, and they would um, say very disparaging things about atheists too. Um, and they would, you know, obviously uh, mention the fact that being atheist and being gay is unequivocally against Islamic belief. Would they separate these these topics of atheism and people living leaving the religion? of Islam as like as worse per, perhaps than even being an atheist? Mm, no, I think the only time I think the only time anyone ever mentioned uh, uh, leaving Islam was in regards to Ayan Hirsi Ali, but but uh, other but other times I think if they were just talking about regular atheists because uh, to them like someone leaving Islam is like is like it doesn't exist to them like they just can't fathom that. Yeah, for a very long time before Ayan Hirsi Ali, there was no like well-known ex- mm-hmm. such thing as an ex-Muslim. And yeah. even for many mm-hmm. years when Ayan was just speaking publicly, mm-hmm. there was really no other person <laughs> out there yeah. saying that kind of thing. It's only been in the recent maybe five years that we're getting so many new voices out there, which is very surprising considering everyone always mentions, hey, it's a religion of 1.5 billion people. It's like, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> it can't be that you know no one has left a religion before Ayan Hirsi Ali. Yeah. Um, what What were the next uh, kind of steps you you went through to kind of find uh, atheism? Yeah. Um, and so, 
um, I started questioning Islam when I was around 14 years old, and um, and so I just I I stopped practicing basically. I, I didn't pray anymore. I didn't have to fear hell. I didn't have to fear uh, and some type of afterlife. Um, I didn't. All of that stuff was just gone, and so I had a completely different attitude when I was going into Muslim spaces. Um, so I was more or less ambivalent. Um, and again, I'm just 14 years old. I really don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to like get by. And so when I, I, I returned to the United States for, for my high school, and so this is around 2012, and that's when I um, started critically engaging Islam. Um, by that, I'm talking about like I started reading literature I started reading Richard Dawkins. I started reading. I started reading Christopher Hitchens, Ayan Hirsi Ali. Um, there was, I think, one of the first books I've ever read that critically engaged Islam was um, a book by Ibn Nawara called "Why I Am Not a Muslim." I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I checked out that book when, uh, from the library. Now, obviously, I'm hiding all these books because I don't want them to be out in the public. Um, that's yeah. So I would say around high school is when I started to, um, I guess. Um, and oh, yeah, oh my God, I completely forgot. So this is around 16 years old. Um, you know, I'm still in the process of questioning, investigating, interrogating, just going through my belief system, you know, trying to see maybe if I am wrong, maybe give Islam a second chance. Uh, maybe, the I, you know, I'm asking myself questions such as, maybe I've been, I've been, I've been maybe Shaydan got to me and, you know, he's leading me to um, leave Islam forever and I should go back to the faith because um, I'm, I'm giving into my doubts. That's, that's what I thought. Um, For those who don't know, to, to say that you were fearful that it was shaitan leading you away, that's Satan in Islam. And it's Satan, commonly yeah. said that like, you know, th- these thoughts that, you know, maybe Islam is not true is said to be the enticement of the devil leading you away from the faith, right? Uh-huh. And were, so I was... were you still going to mosque during that time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was still doing religious stuff. Yeah, I was still doing what my family wanted me to do because I was under their roof. I had no choice. What was that like? It was like the thing like, again that I said about earlier about Somali culture, um, and I'm pretty sure it pertains to other Muslim cultures. Is you just gotta try and act like you're doing it, meaning that you just gotta put on a show, because in a lot of these um, conservative communities. Um, they are much more concerned, seemingly, with their um, reputation, with their standing in, in, in the community, and with how other people perceive them. Um, and that, that, that's very much, that's basically Somali culture in a nutshell. Um, and so... By this, do you mean that if you, le- if you came out as an ex-Muslim, it would affect... Publicly. Publicly, it would affect your family as well in very negative absolutely, ways? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I did what I had to do. And sometimes I just, I couldn't keep up because it was just like, this is bullshit. I don't want to wake up four in the morning to pray. I don't want to fucking fast for an entire month. I don't want to go to the uh, 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 madrasa every Saturday or Sunday. Um, and the only person who was kind of on me about that was my mother um and, and, and to some extent my dad um and so um but then and my siblings would also pressure me too but um i think if there's one person who was just obsessively concerned with my religious and personal beliefs it was definitely my mom 
can, can I ask you about also d discovering your sexuality? Um, you don't have to, you know, tell me anything too personal as far as sexuality itself, but I would like to know how it related to this upbringing with such negative and derogatory things said about gay people. And then suddenly you realizing you're like that, what, what kind of effect would that have on a person? Yeah, my sexuality didn't start coming into play um, again until I was in high school. Um, so obviously growing up in an Islamic community, you know, being gay was extremely difficult. Um, so I felt a lot of like guilt for, for being gay. And I, I, when I was a Muslim, I was convinced that I was going to go to hell, that God was just going to throw me in the pit of hell simply because I was attracted to men. You know, every madrasa or mosque that you go to, you are told that homosexuality is like the worst. It's even worse than atheism. It's worse than anything. Uh, it's worse than any sin out there, you know? Uh, most Muslims believe that homosexuality is the worst sin and that it is so bad that Allah literally triggered an earthquake to, to you know, dis to destroy an entire nation accused of this indecency. And I'm, for those who are not aware, I'm referring to the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah, which is referred to Lot in the Quran. And so it's a, a story um, that expressly forbids homosexuality and talks about how and um, talks about this community that was accused of homosexuality and how God um, apparently flipped the entire um, city upside down. Um, at least that's the version I was taught. And so um, I remember when I was in the mosque one day, um, and this was when um, gay marriage was passed in the United States. Like, there's still a lot of issues of, of, of homophobia in the United States. But um, I remember when, um, homosexual, uh, when gay marriage was legalized, the leader uh, of the mosque that I go to kind of just devoted his entire uh, Friday sermon to just like uh, 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 condemning and disparaging the LGBT, uh, LGBT community. Um, and he was particularly disparaging gay Muslims um, and was telling them that they are misguided about nature and that they are misguided about religion and that they are going to hell. Can I ask you kind of a, maybe an odd question Mm -hmm. But I'm very curious about it is, let's say hypothetically, you were around that time in high school. If, if you were going to be found out as to this closeted version of yourself, and it was going to be either atheist or gay, which would you choose? Yeah, I would probably choose atheism. <laughs> I get this question a lot. Oh, actually. really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not the only um, one, huh? But they, they don't phrase it in that way. They usually mm. say something along the lines of, do you think the Somali community would react more viscerally to you being gay or to you being atheist? I That's ba basically definitely, what I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of the hate that has been directed, in, directed at me after coming out with my story or pertaining to my sexuality, um, I saw little... Um, if anything, about um, about my apostasy. Um, so if and and that's just much more easier to deal with to them because they'll just send me to a shake and I would just have to, you know, I would just have to um, claim, uh, say the shahada again and go back into the face as opposed to you know you being gay. That's clearly not you can't change that to them. You uh, you you can change it, but you obviously you can't change your sexuality. Um. So from here. Where, where, where does your story continue after high school? By, by the end of when I was a senior in high school, I had come to fully realize that 
that me being gay, me being atheist, will not vibe with my family. To, and like, I'm literally understating that. It just, it, it will not go with my family. It will not go with this community that I've grew, I've grew up in. And so I've, I need to find a way um, where I can get out of the space, go somewhere else, think about these issues, and come back when I'm ready. And so I um, started applying to colleges uh, that were um, out of state, you know, because I said to myself, I need to, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to at least assert my identity and, you know, be who I want, um, I, I, I can't do this around here. It's for my own safety. It's for my own sanity. And so um, I, I need to leave. And so I, I, yeah, I applied for colleges. Thankfully, I got accepted into Ithaca College, which is located in upstate New York. And my mom was not particularly happy about me wanting to leave. Um, into, she was not happy about me wanting to go away for college. Um, and so, I mean, my mom does support higher education and she does support my academic aspirations, but the prospect of her youngest son leaving for home was just just too much. Um, and so yeah, so it sounds um, a lot like the Hispanic families. They, yeah. don't like, they don't like the kids leaving. Them yeah. Home. Yeah. It's not like we don't want, you know, yeah. Like we want you to get education. We want you to make something of yourself. We want you to uh, get a, success, a successful career, but just do it within our face. You know, you do it with, like do it where we can see you. Because again, it's all about social control. They want to keep an eye on you to make sure you're not up to any shenanigans. So yeah. Um, so my, definitely my choice to leave for schooling was seen as a move against Family unity was seen as it was seen as like a fuck you to my family, you know. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, sorry, I don't mean to cuss. All right, um, don't worry. I got a the explicit uh, tag marked on on iTunes, so we can. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, and so um, so my you know how dare I abandon my parents and my siblings who depend on me? Um, and I I understood that I was I was um I, I was taking care of my family, and I did have a lot of responsibilities on me. But, and, and I, yeah, a part of me did feel bad because if I were to leave, um, it would just be my mom, my dad, and my uh, younger sisters. And I would just be leaving a lot behind. Um, and, you know, because there's re- virtually no one else to step in that space because, again, my uh, older siblings are married. They have their own kids to deal with, they have their own issues to deal with. And so um, I, 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 did, I definitely had. I, a lot of responsibilities on me and um, yeah. I can see why they didn't want me to leave in that, in, in, in that regard. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, I left um, for Ithaca college. Yeah. And that's, that's where the Kenya stuff came through. <laughs> and so that's, that's, there's a big, that's, if you want to ask me any specific questions, I, I can have more than one answer. Well, is this around the time when you traveled yep. to <laughs> Yep, this is around the whole time that this whole shit happened, yeah. Yeah, so as I basically um, described in the article, after my freshman year, nothing had, you know, I didn't get any summer internships. I had nothing planned over the summer. Um, I was just going to basically sit around, and I was like, and my mom around... Um, Around the around towards the end of the semester, my mom was like, "Hey, would you be interested in going to Kenya to visit family and maybe tour East Africa?" And I was like, "You know, this is a great opportunity to get out of here um, and just chill um, in Kenya 
for um, the summer. But I, I, you know, I was feeling really nostalgic because I hadn't been to Kenya um, in like what six, seven years, and I was like, you know, I want to go back um, and relive that experience. And you know, that I guess I don't know if that blinded me to all this. I, I really did not see it coming at all. Like I just did like it's just it was pretty meticulously planned, and they they got me. I completely consented to go. Um, and so we went and, um, okay. Um, so we arrived in Kenya in late May, 2017, the night I, we landed in the airport, my mom was acting a bit shady. She was on the phone with my sister and was clearly talking about me. And then I asked her what's going on and she wouldn't tell me, um, and said to me that we will talk about this in the morning. And, um, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and that was kind of my first hint that something was already, um, that something something was just not going right. And so we arrive at the hotel around midnight, um, and my mom tells me that I have a separate hotel room that's like a, f- a few doors down from everyone else. Um, and just to clarify something, I came to Kenya with my uh, mom, my older brother, um, my two sisters, and my two nephews. So we were a core group. Um, and so everyone else had this, everyone else is in one hotel and I had my own a hotel room. And that was my second clue that something was definitely not right. Um, but I was jet lagged, I was tired. I did not have the energy to think all this through. And so I was like, you know, whatever, I'll deal with it in the morning. Um, I just want to get some sleep. And so I wake up the next morning. My mom is like, comes, comes in my room, sits down. And she asks me, do you know why I put you in a separate hotel room? And I tell her that I have absolutely no idea why she did that. And she says to me that, this was so odd, I, I, she said to me that Christians cannot sleep with non-Muslims. Um, excuse me, that Christians cannot sleep in the same um, room as Muslims. And I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? I'm not a Christian. Right. That, and that's a, yeah, this was so, yeah, this was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's uh, the idea of me being a Christian is easier for her to accept than the idea of me being an atheist. That's just my theory. Ah, I see. Uh, yeah. And so I, I was just really confused as to what she was referring to. If she had told me that non-Muslims cannot be in the same space as Muslims, then I would have known immediately what she was talking about. But then I still got a clue. Uh, uh, that she was gonna, that she was that she was definitely gonna refer to uh, me being uh, an ex-Muslim, and so she pulls up two articles printed, and these articles, mind you, were from my campus, were articles that I had written for my campus newspaper. I, I was just like, what the hell was going on? How? And first of all, well, my mom is illiterate; um, she cannot read or write, um, and so how in the world did she come across? something that I had written from my campus newspaper. Like, like, it's just really, it was just, something just didn't add up. And so the two articles that she had a physical copy of, um, one talked about me being um, an ex-Muslim, and the other talked about me being gay. Were these articles that were published online? Or Yes, these articles were published in the Ithacan, which I would not expect anyone from my family to come across, because like, what the hell? Like, who reads that? Like, it's just really bizarre, you know? And you don't have any other family members who attend that college? 
no, I don't have any family members who attend that college. Um, so they, they definitely did some stalking on me. And so it, it gets funnier, actually. So she told me that because my first my immediate question was, how did you come across that? And she said that uh, she said that some random guy who goes to a random mosque found out about what I'm apparently writing for my campus newspaper, um, recognized that I was her son and immediately told her about it. You know, as bizarre and weird as it sounds, it is still not surprising because of how close and tight-knit the Somali community is because it's almost as if we're just one big family. And so if one little tiny rumor gets out there, the entire um, population is going to know about it. And so in that sense, it may, it, 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 if you take it, if you take that into account, it makes sense. But at the same time, it's still really bizarre. And so she said to me, um, so yeah, I completely admitted to him. And like my name and my uh, and my picture were literally right on there. So it's not something that I can just immediately deny. Um, and she said that, you know, all, the, all of these years, she has been trying to mold me into a good Muslim boy. And that she has noticed that I wasn't, straight and that I wasn't a Muslim a, a while back, like a long time ago, and that all of these things that she's been trying to do, um, you know, suddenly making me go to the mosque, um, making me talk to uh, various religious clerics, um, um, forcing me to pray early in the morning, all of these actions were to try to, were her, were try, were her attempts to try to reform me, basically, and that she has basically given up and this was basically her um, um, her last ditch attempt at trying to reform me, um, and that she was pushed to these extremes because I've become public now, you know. And initially, a lot of uh, these issues were within my family, um, and the only people who knew about it were my, my parents and my siblings. Um, and, but now my articles are out there for the entire world to read. And this is a complete embarrassment on her um, and a complete embarrassment on the entire Somali community. How dare a guy who was gay and Muslim, excuse me, who's gay and ex-Muslim, openly gay and ex-Muslim be among us, you know? And this is what brought her here today. This is what made her spend thousands of dollars to uh, on this trip to bring me here. And so... Um, and I'm just sitting there listening and just like, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. A part of me almost wants to laugh at her. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, just, I, I was just feeling all types of things. And so um, um, sorry, I'm trying to explain my emotions. No, no, no. I'm trying to see what, what was going on, you know? And so I was like, shit, you know? You know, you know, I, I, the reason they obviously brought me to Kenya was because they knew they could get away with this. That there are in the United States, I have you know certain legal protections against this type of behavior, right. um, against this type of abusive behavior, um, and so, and so I thought to myself, damn, there's like absolutely no way I can escape this time. Um, and so my mom told me that. Um, from now on forward, um, I will be on the, under the um, under the control of a group of sheikhs whose you know main goal would try to basically 
reform my religious beliefs and basically make me straight again. And um, she was being really elusive, incredibly vague. I tried to get her to describe what she's talking about, but she just would not budge. You know, and she yeah, after that long talk, she left the room. Um, thankfully, she did not think to uh, confiscate my electronics, so I still had my laptop. I still had my phone. Were you trying to reach out to the American embassy? I didn't immediately. I did not reach out to the American embassy. Um, the first person I reached out to was actually a member of XMNA, and that member of XMNA told Mohammed, and Mohammed told the U.S. embassy. So yeah, like I said, there's a few things I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to plan my escape, and at the same time, I'm trying to cooperate with my mom. And I gotta act like I'm not up to anything, you know, before because if I show any hint of suspicion. I'm afraid that they would, you know, confiscate my belongings or like maybe lock me up in a room or something, you know. Right. And so, and so I, and I have to be very careful. Yeah, I, I basically, I feigned cooperation. I told her I would go along with this plan. I, you know, for those who aren't aware, um, these kinds of things happen. Um, so a lot of um, Muslim communities, um, well, if they sense that their sons and daughters are straying away from religious and cultural norms, they will take them back to their respective countries, um, which are usually countries that are like lawless and war-torn, um, and basically force them into very abusive situations, very controlling situations. Um, and these conversion camps that I talked about in the um, Ithacan article do exist, um, and they operate um, around grim parts of Africa, um, Somalia, and Kenya. And this is basically where you send your kid off to, um, and, and yeah, they subject, um, the people who go there are subjected to severe beatings, shacklings, food deprivation, and just a whole bunch of other really, um, horrible practices. Um, and at the, at the, at the heart of these conversion camps are, are, is to basically try to get you to become the best Muslim possible. And obviously that involves a Quranic or Islamic curriculum, you know? And so I've heard a lot of horror stories about these um, gay and religious conversion camps and people being sent up there um, and being kept there almost indefinitely. Um, and you cannot try to escape or like try to leave or anything because that would invite, that would invite some kind of physical harm. Um, so in other words, I, I, I was not, I was not going to, I was not going to go for this. I was not going to be subjected to any of this stuff. I I'm, I'm, I was determined to get out of there. Can I ask you some questions about your your citizenship status at that point? Like, because you were born in Kenya, but you came when you were very little to the states. Did you have American citizenship? Yeah, um, and it was in fact my U.S. citizenship that made. <coughs> excuse me, it was my U.S. citizenship that made um, this escape um, possible or easier. Yeah, I should say. Um, maybe so, possible. I don't know if maybe you would have been able to. Yeah, you know, get help from the U.S. embassy if you weren't. If I was a citizen, yeah. Um, and so this is around when my mom came and spoke to me and told me about what's going, what will be happening to me. Um, that was around like 11 in the morning. Um, I, and like I said, I reached out to get some help. Um, and then, the, yeah, the, later in the day, um, the sheikhs that my mom referred to came and spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they were just basically like, you know, being gay and atheist is against your Islamic upbringing. It is a form of Western mimicry. It is against your African heritage. It is the most abhorrent thing 
um, and just you know the usual stuff that you hear about um, atheism and homosexuality within uh, Muslim communities. Um, and so I knew very well that well, that the next morning I would have to go with them, and God knows what would happen. Um, and they, so so and they, they came also, over, but then they left for the night. They left for the night. Yeah, yeah. they said that they would come pick me up the next morning. Um, when they were saying all those things to you, were you reacting at all, speaking back, or just were you just shocked and kind of quiet? I was. I don't know. This might sound bad, but I was like trying to hold in my laughter. Oh like, wow! <laughs> yeah. What what what, like, what what made you laugh about the situation? I maybe it's a form of coping mechanism. I have yeah. no idea, but like, but like I knew I was gonna get out of there, and I knew that at this point, that um, I don't know. I, was I it like, was it a kind of nervous I, maybe, laugh, or was it what they were saying made you laugh? What they were saying made me laugh. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because like maybe they didn't just do they not know that I could like immediately just leave? Like what, like what were they thinking? Why would they just let me? Um, have access to my computer and my laptop. Do they think I'm not not dumb enough to like reach out for help? I don't know. I was just like, just I don't know. It was just. So you're laughing at their incompetence. <laughs> I was just laughing at their incompetence, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I can immediately just like grab my shit and go. Like you, like you don't have that much power over me. Sure, I'm in a completely different country, but the U.S. embassy is just a few uh, miles away. Um, but again, I was like, again, I really had to contain my laughter. So. So that they, that they knew that I was, I was trying to make it seem like I was taking them seriously when I clearly I did not take them seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Um, again, so I'm just you know going through a lot of emotions. Obviously, I'm nervous. Obviously, I'm scared for my life because anything could happen. You know, immediately they could decide. You know, oh wow, why didn't we think to confiscate his belonging and lock him in his room? Uh, you know, were you not um, worried also they were going to take you that night when they came in? Um, n- n- I. N- well, they said they wouldn't, and so okay. um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I guess another part of the reason that I laughed was because I knew my mother is beyond gullible. She will virtually fall for anything. Um, and I don't know. I, I know this might sound bad, but I needed to get out that situation. So I definitely used that weak weakness of her to my advantage um, to try to escape this situation. If that makes sense, do you, um, yeah, no, it makes, yeah. makes perfect sense. I mean, you you may, you may love your mother, but you know, if she yeah. if she has that aspect about her, and you you really don't want to end up in a yeah. forced conversion, you know, therapy kind of thing, you you have to do what you have to do. Yeah, and so um, and so that would that happened around evening, and I go back into my room, and I'm corresponding with people from Exmos of the North America. And they had created a plan for me. And so the plan was um, for me to, um, at the very least, to grab my passport. Um, and um, they had prepared a cab for me. I would get in this cab, and this cab would take me to the U.S. Embassy. And um, the a problem was, or I should have mentioned this earlier, um, the, the U- U.S. Embassy, American employees at the U.S. Embassy are forbidden from entering East Lay, which was the neighborhood that I was staying in. They are forbidden from entering East Lay because of high crime and terrorist attacks. And so uh, they could have, if they wanted to, immediately just come to my rescue and pick me up, but they couldn't do that. And so I had to get out of there myself. Um, and so Mohammed um, and some other um, ex-Muslim uh, ex-MNA members devised a plan for me to um, escape that night. 
uh, get in this cab that had that had been prepared for me, and then go off to the U.S. Embassy. Um, and so that's exactly what happened. So that night, everyone fell asleep. I went into my mom's hotel room. I grabbed my passport. I packed whatever belongings I could pack, and um, went downstairs, got in the cab, and the cab took me to the United States Embassy. But in the United States Embassy, you can't just, there's no plane that's going to take you home. So what do you do from there? So um, I get to the US Embassy and um, the guards check, uh, they, you know, they just do like uh, a verification stuff. Um, and um, the general consul, the, the general consul is aware of my situation and he had stood up uh, past his hours uh, that night to help me. And so... Um, into the United States Embassy, um, I um, they interviewed me and um, I explained my situation to them. And here's what they told me: in the month of May alone, um, and the person who's telling me this is the General Consul, um, and his express purpose is to help Americans who are in distress. Um, he told me that in the month of May alone, and by that time it was I think around May twenty. May 26, May 25, um, up up until then, there have been 21 calls to the United States Embassy um, of Somali Americans, young Somali Americans whose parents tricked them, in, uh, tricked them into coming to Africa under the pretense of a summer vacation and were being held against their will. Just in that month? Just in that month alone, there were about 21 calls, uh, similar calls like me. Uh, of young, desperate Somali people trying to escape their situation, and so it's something that happens. It's it's a reality. Um, and and who knows? Maybe these are also ex-Muslims. Maybe they're Somali women who are are being uh, uh, brought here to be forced to uh, to marry against their will. Um, and so just a lot of messed up stuff. Could it also be FGM? Yep, that's yep, that's a thing too. But that usually happens when they're much younger. Right, but it, it does happen in Kenya. It does happen in Kenya, yes, mm-hmm. very frequently. Yeah, and from from what I understand from hearing from a lot of European countries of the United States, what the parents do is they take them back to home countries like Kenya to have it done because they'll get less resistance from a doctor than they would in their home country. They don't even go to the doctor to do it. They just they get like a midwife or something oh. and, 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 and perform FGM um, without any sort of medical assistance. Oh, um, not that that would make the practice any better. Right. No. Uh, yeah. 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 But, um, um, the general counsel said to me that this happens and by and large, most of the people, um, who contact them, they cannot help them actually. Um, and most of the calls, uh, um, they are getting are are like people who are in Somalia. Um, and, you know the U.S. Embassy um, or American employees of the U.S. Embassy are 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 forbidden from going to a lot of places because of for safety and security reasons, and so it's 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 really it's it's a desperate situation, and they don't know um, how to deal with it. And they told me that you know that I'm remarkable enough to be able to escape this situation completely unscathed, at least physically, um, and so. Um, so you were a rare case of somebody actually being able to breach the American Embassy. Not only that, but I was also a rare case of someone who wanted to go ahead and prosecute their parents for doing this. Oh, you did? 
um, or I asked, I asked, and they were like, "Do you want to go? Do you, would you like to prosecute your parents for doing this?" And and then I said, "Yeah, absolutely. I have no, um, I have no qualms about that actually." Um, and they were completely stunned because most of the people um, that they've been able to, you know, help are, are, are just don't want to do that. They don't want to go after their parents. So, is are these criminal charges you could bring your parents up on in the U.S.? That, that's possible. Yep. He was interviewing me. He was like, he, he wrote that down. And he was like, later, um, before you leave to, to the United States, um, an FBI agent will interview you and see if they could um, bring up legal charges against your, against the people who are responsible. If that's so uncommon, what made you okay with that compared to other people who usually don't? I, I, I was hoping it would set a precedent. Um, I was hoping that it would teach them a lesson, not just teach my family in particular a lesson, but it would also teach other Somali families who live in the diaspora that if you do this shit, you will face legal consequences. Right. So you were, you were thinking about all the other people that he had mentioned that, yeah. that was happening to. Right. And um, the Somali community is scared shitless of authorities. Like they are sh- scared shitless of authorities, like of getting deported, a, of, of getting deported, of uh-huh. uh, facing any entity out there that Somali people fear. It is almost more than God. It is is is, is the is the uh, our cops and, and, and the authorities. Were you then interviewed by an FBI agent? Yes, I was interviewed by an FBI agent, and um, and I never checked up on. I should probably get going on that, but um, and I, I I I haven't heard back from them yet um, how long ago was ex- this that all this happened to you may 2017 so so you're this is still inside the embassy in kenya where do you go from there um so um yeah so the uh, general the general consul um after he interviewed me um he uh was generous enough to let me stay at his place until we got the situation figured out because obviously i don't like I'm not in contact with my family members. I don't have any money. I don't like. I have nothing. You know. Oh, so you were there for a few days when once you. Yeah. Got to oh, the yeah. I, yep. Yep. I was actually there for a few days, guarded. Actually, um, every time we went out to go eat or do some sightseeing, um, we had a, a security guard with us, and so yeah, I stayed. I, th- I think I stayed um, at in, in in Kenya. Um, Did you also have Kenyan or Somali? citizenship as dual citizenship along along with the american citizenship no okay so you're solely an american citizen then yeah or you are sorry solely an american mm-hmm. citizen right mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and how, uh, since you got back have you seen your family no i have not been corresponding with anyone from my family members um you I haven't mean, spoken to them not a word i haven't spoken to them and i and i think some people from my family have tried to reach out to me um, because they still have my number, but I have not spoken to anyone from my family. I haven't even spoken to anyone, like even family members, because who had nothing to do with this. I haven't even heard from them as well. Do you feel open to talking with them, or do you not want to engage with them? At this point, no. When all of this happened, mm-hmm. I was, you know, caught up in the emotions of everything, and I was, you know, I missed them, um, and to a certain extent, I still do. Um, but you know, as I become more public about this, um, there's just no way that, that I, I could ever, that they would ever speak to me. And it's just, I don't think it's a possibility because if, if for whatever reason I w- were to reconnect with someone from my family members, um, especially my mom, 
um, there was there would have to be some sort of caveat, and the caveat being that I would have to compromise something. I it's not just it's not just a it would be a give and take, you know. And so, and then the compromise in the compromise would mean I would have to keep silent about who I am. I'd just have to conform to her beliefs. Um, I, I thought about you know doing some type of like distant relationship where we call each other and check up on each other once in a while and like have this very superficial relationship. Um, but I, I just saw no value in that, and so. Um, I'm more or less over them as of right now. It's a very complex emotional and psychological relationship to have with people like this who are your family because politically, when you when, if you spoke about people who felt this way about atheists and probably in the United States, especially people who condemn gay people this much, they're just seen as awful people. They're just the worst. They're just, you know, the unredeemable kind of kind of people. But this is your family. And you mm-hmm. really can't, you know, see your family that way. So do, do you have this kind of now dual feelings towards your family where, you know, they're your family at the end of the day, but you cannot um, have the kind of relationship you'd, you'd like to have with them? To begin with, I never had a close relationship mm-hmm. with anyone from my family. Um, not my siblings, not my dad, not even my mom. Um, if there was one person I was sort of close to, it would have been my mom. But even then, our um, relationship was very tumultuous. Um, and so I guess that made the grieving process uh, markedly easier um, because it was, um, I guess, harder, excuse me, it was much easier for me to let them go because of the um, strained relationships that I had with them in the first place. Um, but I still do, you know, part of me still does miss them. And, and, and in an ideal world, of course, it would be amazing to be openly gay and atheist and at the same time have an accepting family. But I understand that's just not the reality of, reality of it. And I'm, I'm I'm willing to accept it. Is there some form of also relief about what happened that you don't have to live this pretend life on the side? There's there's a relief, and there's also I guess the illusion of safety and the illusion of security. Um, meaning that you know I'm obviously the more vocal I become about the story the bigger the target is on my back. Um, And as you know, I do not have to explain all this to you. You already know that there's people out there who are willing to kill us simply for who we are and simply for what we believe in. And so I don't know. It's a relief in the sense that I don't have to continue to hide the story. I don't have to continue to suppress my feelings. I don't have to... um, hide who I am. I can, I am as, I'm a complete open book right now. Um, but at the same time, that obviously comes with certain risks and and that's just the reality of it. And so, yeah. What is your vision of of current politics in the United States right now? Because it seems like you don't fit all that well oh boy <laughs> anywhere so so to put to put you to put you in a box <laughs> you know to, like nobody likes that but let's let's do it anyway to put you in a in a box i mean on the right 
uh, on the right wing of the United States politically, you're an African immigrant. You're black. Mm -hmm. You come from a Muslim family. Mm -hmm. A lot of things uh, very contentious as far as that on the right. Not very keen on immigrants right now. You know, very contentious against uh, Islam and Muslims right now. But then on the other side, you're also an atheist and you're gay. And there seems to be this kind of Islamophilia where uh, the left is having kind of this love relationship with Islam where they want to put women in hijab every, uh, on every poster and they think it's beautiful and empowering and Islam is the most empowering feminist religion. And, and you know, it's just the extremists are the problem. It's just the terrorists. It's just ISIS. But what about the common person who's who's just a Muslim and just wants to, to live as a Muslim? Well, you've kind of felt to the effects of that common Muslim, right? The person who's not a terrorist and not maybe an ISIS supporter. But, you know, if they're just anti-atheist, if they're just homophobic that leads to very large consequences in the life of somebody like you so on the left you you're going to have a lot of problems as well probably when you're sitting around and everybody's talking about how wonderful and empowering islam is um where do you feel you fit in all this um your brain must want to explode when you think about it actually or you just don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think it's either one of those I, things, I, right? <laughs> I, I, I will, I will put it on a local level. Okay. On the politics, the politics that you're describing. Um, so I, when I came out with this story um, to the Ithacan, which is my campus newspaper, um, and I go to a, a very liberal um, college campus, and you know. We, very much in a bubble and we are completely isolated from the outside world um, and so I hesitated with presenting the story with them because um, because of the layers of complexity you know involved um, the fact that I left Islam um, the fact that I am gay the fact that I come from a Muslim community the fact that I'm from an immigrant background all of all of the things that you mentioned you know um, and so I thought they um, would um, be like, oh, sorry, we don't want to take this story because it portrays Muslims uh, and Islam in a negative light. Um, and uh, you, you already know what I'm describing. I'm talking about the the, the knee-jerk defense th uh, that's among the left to always defend Islam and Muslims at, at no matter what, you know? Right. And then the right wing could see like, oh, we don't yeah. really like this story because we're defending an African immigrant, right? So so there's a lot yeah. of, there's, a, there's some win for both sides in your story and there's some lose and these days nobody wants to lose. So you're probably yeah. largely going to be ignored. Um, um, and so I, I, I thought that, I thought that that was, that that would be the case um, because that happens a lot. Um, I know that um, XMNA has issues entering liberal spaces, um, even liberal secular spaces because of their focus on Islam and because of their focus on helping ex-Muslims, you know, it's like, no, 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 we don't want to go there. Um, and so I, I know exactly what you're describing. Um, and, but interestingly, um, but that wasn't the case on my campus. So they were very um, welcoming um, and the entire community has, you know, 
rallied behind me. The entire Ithaca College community has rallied behind me. Um, That's great. And they've just been, you know, tremendously, tremendously supportive. And matter of fact, um, there was an editorial published in my campus newspaper, which said that, um, which, which um, it, it said something like, despite the liberal atmosphere that exists on the college campus, being a part of the LGBT community still isn't widely accepted across the country. Um, and that the acceptance of LGBTQ individuals in, com- in, in Muslim communities is even more polarizing and even more pretentious. Um, and so nothing in this editorial from this campus newspaper, liberal campus newspaper, um, nothing in there um, said something along the lines of, you know, we still need to consider the fact that Muslims in Islam are um, demonized in the, in the media and we shouldn't use Mahad's story to um, spread um, xenophobia and Islamophobia. Um, and so that was that was a little interesting. And so, um, yeah, so far, the response that I've gotten from people on campus has been, um, you know, we support you. We understand that these are certain realities that exist um, within the communities that you have come from. Um, and so we're not here to patronize you or, or, or say anything paternalistic or come to the defense of Muslims in Islam because um, because of the political scene, because of the current political scene. Um, and so, yeah, um, um, and so when I also posted this, uh, story on Twitter, um, there were actually certain right wing accounts, um, and right wing figures who were like, oh, look at this, um, um, African immigrant who escaped, who escaped to the liberal secular West and just like, you know, stuff like that. And so. You know, and that's, well, the thing, that's inevitable. When you put your work out there, people are going to use it for whatever agenda. Yeah, I've I've accepted that a lot too. Yeah, I mean, yep. I, there's there's no way there's no way to really control that. Is like as far as your story, I I feel you like at the end you just have to be honest and just put your honest opinion and words out yeah. there, and everyone yeah. will get what they need out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to try to um, answer your question. So for example, mm. um, I've had a lot of media requests um, and I've gotten requests from conservative outlets and I, I did, I don't want to engage them. I, I honestly do not want to engage them. Not, it's not that I have anything against conservatives. I do not agree. I, I think they care less about my story and more about demonizing um, Islam and demonizing Muslims. They can go ahead and do that on their own terms. I don't even care. I just do not want them to use my story and my experiences uh, to, for them to do that. Um, and so I guess... Well, I can understand why. It's definitely not... They're not going to focus on the part of your story that you came from Africa at a young age. Africa, and, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, our, our, our progressive kind of force in, in, in America, right? You're in college, you know, you, you left your religion, you want to you know, live this liberal life. They're not going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, this is a, a success story of immigrants. No, they're going to focus on the negative aspect of, yeah. of Islam and use it yeah. almost as an anti-immigrant uh, talking point, which is, which is very hard to deal with. Um, it, it's very, it's very hard. I do. I, it's totally your choice to not engage with conservative, um, outlets and media i do understand why some people do it and i do feel like their position is valid as well is that if you don't Mm -hmm. engage with those outlets they're never going to see a different side right it's like you want maybe if it's a conservative outlet you're going to be speaking to a big conservative 
um, audience where they you, they can see you know a a gay African immigrant who's who's maybe they they can relate to more and who's not this very conservative fundamentalist Muslim. So that could give a very positive mm-hmm. portrayal to them. Like, hey, there are people who come from this country who are brought up in Islam who are not what you expect. So that and that could have a positive effect as well. But at the same time, I also empathize with your point, and I think it's valid that the outlet itself is try to is going to try and use your story the way they want. Yeah. So yeah it's it's a hard world i mean it used to be the news when i was little it was just they report on something and given an objective you know look on it and now there's it's mostly conservative or liberal media right we know exactly who they are right it's and and the in-betweens the objective uh non if there are any left i don't you know could you name now a media outlet that doesn't have a political position i don't think i could so this is the world we live in now so i i don't know the answers it's very complex i don't know the answer to that question so yeah um Mm -hmm. and so yeah i've and being in a completely liberal space i have not gotten any sort of resistance to my story if that's what you're asking i have not um no one has tried to even remotely defend Muslims or Islam on the basis of not all people are like this, you know, not all Muslims are like this, um, because that's just paternalistic language that I will not, like, I just won't tolerate that. Um, but I, so far, I hadn't, you know, I, had, you know, I have not come across that. Um, but on a national level, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It, so it's it's weird. It's 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 the, the, the politics that ex-Muslims um, and gay ex-Muslims in particular have to navigate is just like, it's wild. So, I, I mean, outside the realm of your story, how do you see all these politics that we've just described going on? What do you think people are getting wrong or right? Is there a solution to any of this? Um, so, yeah, there is um, a belief among the left that Islam does not, you know, condemn homosexuality and that the persecution of Islamists, excuse me, that the Islamist persecution of um, LGBTQ people um, is based on um, incorrect interpretations of the Quran and conservative interpretation of the Quran. I think that's bullshit. I think that's delusional. I think that um, I think this is a problem because it kind of uh, prevents people from actively criticizing the atrocious um, anti-gay literature in Islam, um, which basically serve as the basis for Islamic laws that prescribe death and imprisonment for homosexuality. And there's a, you know there's all these Pew Research Gallup polls, whatever that show the depressing views Muslims from across the globe have on homosexuality. Um, you know, that, that obviously homophobia is not exclusive to Islam. Other religions and institutions are also completely intolerant of LGBTQ people. Um, you know, in the United States, Mike Pence, uh, our current vice president, um, has um, supported gay conversion therapy in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there, again, there's an entire discourse about Islamic extremists when they commit, you know, heinous acts of violence that, that they are not driven by their religion, obviously. I do think that there is that they are driven by their religion. Um, that isn't to say that Islam is inherently and particularly violent. I know a lot of ex-Muslims actually um, hold this proposition, and I think it's, um, I think it's, um, I, I slightly disagree with it. I think that religious ideology is neglected and misunderstood as kind of a, an explanatory lens when it comes to Islam and violence. And so I, I think it's a mix of things. I think it's a mix of politics, uh, religious ideology, um, uh, social situation, and whatnot when it, when, when it comes to the conversation surrounding Islam and violence. Um, I hate apologia just as much as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of um, the left 
trying to make all these apologetic claims. Um, I think that Muslim Muslim leaders, um, particularly those who live in the West, need to come out and actively condemn homophobia instead of trying to defend their faith. Um, as you know, um, that whenever anything Islam in the news happens, or whenever Islam appears in the news, um, Muslims seem to be seem to be are just like concerned with their religion and nothing else. Really? Yeah, yeah, no, I understand yeah. what you mean. Yeah, and so yeah, I think that's problematic on a lot of levels, um, and I think that this the acceptance of homosexuality within LGBT communities and all of these apologetic claims will go away. Excuse me. So I think that the acceptance of LGBTQ, LGBTQ people will come um, and materialize once Muslims begin questioning and critiquing um, traditional Islamic um, beliefs. Um, obviously, this is kind of, well, in Muslims, this would be like really radical yeah, and, and almost untenable because how dare you suggest that there's something wrong with our religious uh, and sacred text. Um, and so, no, that religious... Texts are, are are not sacred. That they are open to scrutiny and criticism, just like any other text are. Um, who who do you think is 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 possibly the the closest you can come to to allies? I mean, in your situation, you were I think you were very lucky that the liberal kind of community in your university embraced mm-hmm. you in the in yeah is very non and and, and, yeah and did not try to apologize right. For anything. You know, and then the Muslim community also not gonna is not supportive of of, of people in your situation. So who is left to help? And usually, even if you do put a human face to these stories and get liberals to realize that these issues are affecting the people in their community, their family, their friends, their uh, colleagues, their classmates, then perhaps that would get them to change their mind. Um, you don't think so? Maybe that, maybe I thought that was. Uh, my situation, um, because I remember in the uh, editorial that the college uh, published, um, that's something that they mentioned that, you know, these issues, just we may be in a liberal bubble and isolated from the rest of the world, that these things are happening to people within our own community. Um, and so just kind of trying to personalize um, the issue. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean, but I, um, I, I yeah. think also that you're in competition with people yeah. like Linda Sarsour who says okay. like no women are not oppressed and nobody no women have to wear the hijab that's just you know that's just saudi arabia it's just you know a few women she's she's a god on this campus <laughs> everyone loves her yeah that's that's yeah. kind of my point i mean is i'm glad to hear that they embraced you but like as you yeah. just said they love her right and yeah. so that that image one is firmly embraced by the left and two it's 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 more popular mm-hmm. She has yeah. she has more funding, she yeah. has more people backing her, and there's a lot of people yeah. like her, yeah, uh, like Dalia Mugahed and yeah. you know Reza Aslan. The, the, yeah. Those people have a lot better funding and a lot more attention, a lot more connection to left wing politics than any kind of you know reasonable critic of Islam that I can tell. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, either I I, find, I see in general that critics of Islam who are moderate in their way of speaking are either completely ignored or you know embraced by the right wing and then they have to make a decision do i fall into this camp with the the right wing or do i just fall in this you know kind of media limbo where nobody wants to talk to me yeah 
Yeah, right? I mean, also <laughs> like some... me, <laughs> where I, where nobody, you know, yeah. my, my show is not popular with anyone. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's been, and, and this is just like ex-Muslim politics, but um, I don't know. There's been certain, I've, I've, you know, times where um, ex-Muslims would try to police each other's politics, and by that I'm talking about um, they would um, reprimand and discourage, um, or even sometimes attack ex-Muslims who are um, a little bit more conservative, um, whether that's fiscally or socially. Um, generally, it's fiscally, and generally they identify with either the Republican or Libertarian Party, at least in the American context. And I always thought that was a little noxious because, you know, we should be embracing, like, we, sh- we this is this type of, like, shaming um, for each other's belief is literally what we escaped. And so why are they kind of enacting that same type of... Um, thing onto onto other ex-Muslims too. And so I, I actually I don't have anything against other ex-Muslims who speak to conservative outlets to try to get their story out there. I actually I, I just I don't I, I don't see anything wrong with that and I don't condemn them for it. Um that's always gonna be I, the, I, I, the worst impediment. But, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And so but I, it's just not I'm not, you know, especially ready to do that. And I I guess I take when I said earlier that, uh, I, again, I'm not completely opposed to um, speaking to conservatives. As a matter of fact, I have actually written for conservative publications in the past um, about issues concerning free speech, intellectual diversity, and a lot of other campus politics. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not entirely closed off um, to engaging conservatives. Um, and it's, it's, and I don't know. The politics is weird because there's. This whole new alt-right shit going on. The politics in the United States is just so polarized and just messed up right now. Like I can't, I don't even know how to distinguish who from who, if that makes sense. And so, yeah. Um, and also, it's I mean, it's a hard thing there. I mean, I've seen people kind of who maybe lean left, for example, say they won't talk to conservative outlets. They'll shame people who talk to conservative outlets and then they'll accuse those conservative outlets of being in an echo chamber. Yeah. So you see uh, the problem so, there, right? It's like, you don't you don't want to talk to them. You don't want anyone else talking to them from your side. And then you say all oh, those people are in echo chambers. Well, which is it? Do you want you know those people not to be in echo chambers and engage with them? Or do you think that you should be in kind of these politically isolated bubbles? You can't have it both ways. Um, interesting thing. You've spoken to Dave Rubin before, right? Yeah, I was on his show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was actually on my campus um, just a few days ago. Oh, um, really? Yeah. yeah he, uh, the college Republicans invited him, and it was a very good turnout. It was very like intellectually engaging. Um, did you attend? Yeah, I did attend, and actually did. I spoke to him, and I was like, thank you for giving um, people like Lalo, Yasmina, Sarah Hader, Ayan Hirsi a platform, you know? Um, and he mentioned the exact same thing that we're talking about. And he, I consider him an ally, actually. Um, and I think that, um, I, you know, I may not necessarily agree with all of his political um, and, uh, views, but I, and so I, I just say, you just got to be careful. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 obviously there's nothing you can do about, I mean, again, when you put your work out there, people are going to viciously rip it apart and, do whatever they want with it. That's just the reality of it. But I do, obviously, I, I you do have um, some control when it comes to who you want to engage with. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I'm I'm very picky about who I mm -hmm. talk to. Yeah. Actually, I mean, other people aren't. So there are people who say, "No, I'm open to talking to anyone." Yeah, it's one way to go. I mean, I'm, I'm I try I try to give my podcast a little bit of a theme as well. Like, I don't talk about any yeah. subject. Um, I'm very particular about what I talk about, who kind of I talk about it with. It's one way to do it. I, I mean, I enjoy people actually who are so open to talking to diverse you know kind of people i like listening to debates i listening to just you know cold interviews where they're just asking straight out what the person thinks it's all kind of mediums out there and i'm just trying to yep. run mine the way yep. i'm comfortable with and what i want to get accomplished so but it's it's a complicated world out there politically yeah <laughs> it's, it is it's getting it is. it's getting stranger by the day in the united states um and trump is not making it any less weird yeah <laughs> yeah um, to, so to get back to um, your story and, and your family, how do you see the future with your with your family and yourself? I'm just trying to graduate from college, honestly. Right. <laughs> like, I have so many papers due tonight. I'm like, all my friends are out there partying, just having a good time. And I'm like, oh. Do you want to gauge more with um, activism? Um, as, as, as far as like... um talking about the stories of people who maybe have backgrounds similar to yourself yeah i want to do things that make tangible that make concrete effect mm -hmm. um i have spoken to the united states uh the u.s department to try to i don't know pass some laws against this or uh, or, or 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 legislate in some kind of way and it's it's particularly difficult because it's happening internationally Right. Um, and there's, you know, all of these things that you have to account for. Um, but I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, I, I think that the governments need to be aware of this situation. And let me give you an example. Uh, Minnesota, where I'm from, uh, the, the Republicans um, uh, tried to, I, I don't think it successfully passed, uh, I could be wrong. They tried to pass a bill that would have severe restrictions um, and severe penalties for parents who um, take their um, uh, daughters abroad to do FGM, mm -hmm. I that's like kind of what I'm. Uh, I, it's bills like that that I I fully support. Um, and I, a lot of the people on the left were like, "Oh no, this is just going to criminalize immigrant communities. This is just going to push it underground. This is um, this is bad for the parents." So like, what are you talking about? This is bad for the parents. I don't have any sort of sympathy for. Um, parents who are 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 going to commit this human rights violation against their young child you know it's things like that um that i i wish to get out of that, that i wish to get out of with, with my story it's one thing to raise awareness it's good you know to get this people um to get people to realize this it's little steps like these that form into something bigger um uh, and bigger um and at the end of the day before you know it we have a movement that Muslims have no choice to but to reckon with, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. 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 I mean, like we were saying before, there was a time where there was almost no ex-Muslims at all out there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I've even talked with ex-Muslims who said for years the only name they knew publicly was Ayan Ersi Ali. And now they have so many people that they can look to and hear their voices and mm -hmm. hear a sympathetic voice of somebody who's going through what they've gone through. Um, so I think every voice added is, is improving the conversation. Um, well, thank you for being on Mahad. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for, um, hosting me. It's Mahad Olad 
yes. where can people find you to follow you on social media? Um, you don't know. You don't know your Twitter. I, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you your Twitter. It's at underscore m i s a k m. Yeah, and you can just link it when you publish the podcast. I will. Or something. That's I will link fine. your Twitter. I'll link also yeah. the article you wrote about your experience yeah. in Kenya. Um, and anything else maybe that people can find you on. And thank you again for being on. Oh, no problem. I hope to speak to you again, actually.